Welcome to the Church Interpreting Podcast. I'm Lauren Albizu. And I'm Jonathan Downey. And on the show today... Us! <laughs> we're actually, for the first time ever, apart from ESD Congress, we're in the same virtual room and we're actually recording a conversational show today with us. We, we decided we'd break it up and do something different. And we've got some really interesting topics. But Lauren, do you want to introduce our first topic and tell us why it's on your mind so much? Yeah, so every so often I go through like a new existential crisis kind of dread kind of thing where I doubt everything I've ever done. And in this particular moment, I was going, it was in September and I was going on about like, what is my voice? Do I even have a voice? Like, what does it mean for me to say something? Um, Especially because something that I continue telling people is like, oh yeah, you just, you're repeating somebody else's words. They're not yours. Right. And I came into this conflict of like, do I have a voice or am I just constantly appropriating somebody else's voice? And that was kind of like the basis for me wanting to talk of this out with somebody who had more experience could like help me out. I think there's a, there's a couple of things going on here. I'm reminded of a really weird quote that I came across when I was doing my PhD. And it's by a performance theorist by the name of Richard Schechner. And he said that when you're a performer, and I count interpreting as a form of performance, performance is simply something done in front of an audience where the person performing is aware that they're doing something that isn't their ordinary everyday life. So, for example, brushing your teeth isn't performance, but it could be performance if you're brushing your teeth so that your kids can see you brushing your teeth so that they want to brush their teeth. So performance is about an audience and it's about knowing that it's kind of cut off from the rest of your life somehow. And he said a performer is aware that they are both not me because they're aware they're taking on a role, they're taking on someone else's voice, but they're not not me because they're aware that the performer still exists behind the script. Although that sounds complicated that you're both not me and not not me, I think that's really helpful in interpreting because something that happens a lot is that interpreters are aware that we're saying what someone else said. But equally, most interpreters that I know have been in situations where the client has said something like, you know, the meeting gets really angry and someone will say, oh, I think there's been a problem with the interpreting. Yeah. So interpreters are aware that we have a responsibility as interpreters to be faithful. Let's not get into what faithfulness is, but we, we have a responsibility to be faithful to what the speaker said. Yeah, I'm also aware of our own ethical responsibility to ourselves and to interpreting as a profession. So we're aware that sometimes those two responsibilities don't, don't seem to be compatible. Clients might ask you to do something that you know is against your ethics as an interpreter, your ethics, uh, what the client's saying might conflict with what you believe yourself. And I think one thing that helps me is to realize that my interpreting voice is both the speaker's voice and my voice at the same time. Because sometimes you kind of like swing back and forth between what's being said and what you're saying. Kind of, and that makes it seem like I'm taking it and making making things say I'm not saying different things when I say like you swing back and forth between what they say and you're saying it's kind of like finding that balance between this is their voice and this is my voice and they're operating kind of simultaneously as I'm interpreting but also I am more than just that interpreting moment 
the interpreting moment is, is a really strange place because classically we've been told interpreters should be invisible and we're not ever going to be invisible. That's not how it works. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. On the other hand, we're aware of the skill it takes to, for instance, in medical interpreting, I happened to witness some training of some sign language interpreters and they were being mentored on how to deal with medical interpreting as a sign language interpreter and the fact that because you sometimes have difficult differences in, in education levels because of problems with education systems. The doctor could say something in such a way that the best thing for the interpreter to do is to sign that as clearly as possible, even if that means losing some of the doctor's pretty way of speaking. The deaf person needs to know, if you don't take your medicine, this is what's going to happen. And so we as interpreters know that sometimes we have to summarize, sometimes we have to generalize, sometimes we have to simplify depending on the needs of the situation. Interpreters will do things like, oh, this speaker's going really quickly. The best thing for me to do, some interpreters will say the best thing for me to do is to come back a few seconds and summarize so that I'm not burdening people with too much information at once and so that I can keep going. Other interpreters will say, you know, I'm from the west of Scotland. I've yet to meet a speaker who can outpace me, so I'm quite happy running to catch them if, if I'm feeling up to it. And so you realize that even the very techniques that you're going to use and how you're going to use them are going to change pen interpreter. This isn't to say that we can make up stuff, that we can make the speaker say something they're not saying. I also believe that if you have a very performative, arty speaker, your interpreting should be as arty and performative as you possibly can. But the reality is every interpreter is going to leave their fingerprints on their interpreting. I found it really useful to create a space where I could write about stuff, I could talk about stuff, where I wasn't in an interpreting booth and I could just be me. And I, I started blogging partly as a, as a way of making a space for my voice in the midst of all the other voices that I had to take in, especially when I was doing my master's, I was taking in so many voices. It was really good to create a space where you can have your voice, you know, podcast, writing, drawing, something that's just you. I love that, that phrase, the interpreting moment is a lovely, really lovely phrase because when you're in the interpreting moment, it's almost as if nothing else exists because your brain's so fired up. If people text me to say, hey, we can't hear this very well, it takes me completely out. Um, and I have to find my pacing again to go, okay, I fixed this and now I got to go back at it. Um, and that kind of creates a complexity of like, okay, this is me. And now this is the speaker and finding that balance yet again. That, that's a really interesting thought. Pacing and rhythm is something I don't think we talk enough about. Could you kind of unpack about what you're meaning by, you were talking about finding your pacing again. Do you get into a rhythm when you're interpreting that helps you work? Yes, I get into a rhythm where this is the perfect, like just a perfect rhythm of like, I can follow the preacher how they're going their thought process and I always say it's like okay I just got into this rhythm where I understand exactly where they're going and I can follow no matter where they go and when somebody takes me out of that it's like I have to once again start listening and understanding and decoding and then giving my rendition and it comes out a little I don't want to call it choppy but it's not as as well thought out it's not as well structured as when I'm in my rhythm and so it takes me like a minute or two to get back into rhythm and then finish off 
So I always hate it when people come up and tell me something. I'm like, leave me a note or something. <laughs> I'm really glad because I find one of the signs that I'm interpreting well is when I lose that choppiness. Whereas if if you get a really good preacher, and I, I did, I think it was seven weeks for a church in the States. And one of their preachers, he was very easy to follow. And there wasn't that choppiness because you're right. As soon as you get into the sermon and you follow, you're away. And you yeah. can just go. And also, I really loved they asked me to interpret the song worship. So the praise songs. And they had the words on the screen and it was the easiest interpreting I've ever done. It's like, great. It's a Pentecostal I'm praise song. It's basically sight translation, but yeah. to music. <laughs> and also, Pentecostal songs, you're going to get lines that are repeated and you're like, fine. I'm going to be saying the same thing four times. Not a problem for me. <laughs> God is great. God is great. God is great. <laughs> if, if, you can't, if you can't say God is good in, in your interpreting language, then there is a problem somewhere. <laughs> it's one of the key phrases. God is good. I and think it, when yeah. I do worship, I tend to soften my voice and go for this kind of like spoken word poet kind of thing. Because I don't sing and I'm not about to sing in people's ears. So I just go into like the spoken word kind of, I am reading you a poem and this is what it says kind of thing. So can I also ask, we were having this debate once when there were a few of us on a church interpreting job. Yes. In terms of voice and finding your own voice, if you have a preacher who is shall we say, enthusiastic. <laughs> do you mirror that enthusiasm or do you do the classic interpreter thing of I'm going to go fairly flat and let people see the enthusiasm on the screen? Oh, no, I mirror it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I 100% mirror it. I am I am jumping in my booth. I am. I am. I, I fell once because of it, but I think it's worth it, uh, honestly, because it really engages people. And... I don't know. Sometimes I feel like if I went flat, I would just lose them. But that's just a me thing. Where I, I just feel like people get lost. I have I struggle with very scholarly sermons that are don't have the oomph. So I'm the kind of person that if the preacher says stand up, I have to make sure be careful if I stand up in the booth that I don't pull my cord out. Yeah. I do a lot of remote interpreting. And if the preacher says stand up, I feel like standing up. And I realize that's not always the best because I've got a two screen set up and, you know, you don't want to lose sight of terminology. But yeah, I will get into it. And my thought is, I know how preaching works. So I'm going to interpret as if I was a preacher. Yeah. But I've met some interpreters who are like, no, 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 you have to let the preacher do the preaching and you do the interpreting. For me, one of the things I find solace in, in, in like, what is my voice is the fact that I... I'm speaking God's words because that's what the preacher is doing, right? And so if I'm speaking God's word, I got to move in his presence and in the spirit and everything. And if he is, if this is causing the preacher to feel so moved that they have to move, that they have to stand up, why wouldn't it do that to me if I'm rendering the same words, right? And so that's the way I see it. So I came up with some a fancy term for this on the basis of, the work of an expert caller called Cecile Vigoureux, who studied uh, interpreting in South Africa, in a Congolese church in South Africa. 
And she argued that the preaching and the interpreting were seen by the church as a single bilingual performance. So in that church, if you didn't have French, so the interpreting was French into English. And if you didn't have French, the English interpreting made no sense. Because the interpreter became like a first audience and like a, a visual aid and would often uh, say stuff back to the preacher rather than actually interpreting and so on. But she said, you know, the interpreting there is a single performance. Yeah. And I came up with this thing of, I wonder if that works even when the interpreting is really good. It turns out it doesn't work everywhere, but in a lot of churches, people seem to process the preaching and the interpreted version, which could be in their ears or on stage, as a single coherent thing. Mm -hmm. And I've heard preachers say, in fact, I've got a really nice excerpt in my PhD data where a preacher says, oh, this guy's a good interpreter. He does whatever the preacher does. And I'm like, I think it might depend on yeah. what they value as well. Like yeah. if they value somebody doing the same thing that they're doing, or if they just want somebody to sit in the background and kind of just talk. If you would like to hear more of this conversation between Lauren and I, there are two more episodes based on this chat that we had coming up. Next month, we'll be talking about profanity. And then the month after, we will be talking about whether church interpreting needs to be professionalised. But for now, here's Lauren with a quick tip. And for today's quick tip, I wanted to talk to us a little bit more about that whole finding our voice thing. And remembering that we need to find solace in God's voice and allowing him to be the one to speak to us and speak through us when we're in that interpreting moment. Our main function should always be to allow the listener to encounter God. So as long as we are focusing on that and making that our central goal, it'll help us find our voice. for listening to the church interpreting podcast if you would like more free resources to help your church with interpreting go and check out churchinterpreting.com thank you for listening